Salam and welcome to another TMB podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. And on this week's podcast, I'm joined by a good friend of mine by the name of Hasnain Sayyid. Um, Hasnain's life story, uh, although he's a relatively young man, um, Hasnain's life story is, is uh, quite remarkable and quite unique. Um, it's it's filled with so many different elements there's there's a lot of tragedy but also i think within that is his own personal story of growth and development and the reason i wanted to have this conversation is because i i, I genuinely feel like um his story is some is one that can um motivate uplift and inspire people and um, something that people need to hear. I mentioned it a couple. I think I mentioned it a few times actually in the conversation that we have. But Hasnain doesn't come across as a type when you meet him that's um, seen the level of tragedy that he has in his life. Um, and it's, I think, uh, an important conversation that we have about death and about our attitude to death and also you know the community attitude and and everything else. Um, but it's it, it, it's quite a, a personal conversation and, and I'm, I'm grateful to him for opening up and for sharing um, with us. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Hasnain. Salam Hasnain. Walaikum salam. Thank you very much for coming in today, for joining us on the podcast. Um, I think by, to start off with, in terms of background and how we know each other, we met at a, a legendary uh, Ramadan iftar. <laughs> takes That's place right. every year yeah. i don't know how you managed to, to to get an invite one year yeah um and and we ended up speaking i think the whole night pretty much That's and right. before that i had only ever i guess seen you on social media had heard about you and your story as well um but i think we had quite a decent chat i mean we we, we right. kept in touch since then yeah mainly football related conversations sure. usually when my team have just done one over on yours um, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah, we can talk in a few years' time. Um, but yeah, and, and and I think with with this conversation today, it's something that I, I've had on my mind for a while. Um, and it just, I, I think I messaged you a few weeks ago and I said, you know, if you're down, let's sit down. I think it would be a, a, your your story as an individual. Um, and I guess the journey that you've been on is, is inspiring. I, I know you don't like the kind of cliche terms, all that kind of stuff. But I thought it'd be a good place to at least start um, and, and have a conversation and just, I guess, see where it goes. Sure. So I guess as a starting place, um, I think the best way to kind of do this is just talk about your life because right. you've had a, a very colorful and interesting life. You've got a, one or two more white hairs than myself, <laughs> very barely. But um, there's, I think there's so much to tell. So if we can jump in from like the 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 work slash business side you were you were previously in the finance sector um what was that environment like and what were you like as an individual back then yeah sure well listen firstly thank you for inviting me and for the muslim vibe to give me this opportunity you're right i do find the word inspiring a little bit cliche and i don't find my life to be inspiring but yeah. if others see it that way then you know alhamdulillah if they can benefit in any way from it then so be it um before I go into the kind of financial life, uh, let's talk a little bit about this legendary barbecue because well, you can lead the you conversation. You know what? I, I, I'm going to say I did get my kind of foot in the back door. 
Uh, I don't usually go every year and, you know, I kind of knew a few people, you know, it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're on the guest list. So. Has Seeb got in the same way? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you got in the same Maybe way. Maybe I need to speak to Seeb and see, like, you know, for the future, if <laughs> my people don't come through, that I can get through these yeah, few yeah. people. <laughs> and yeah, it was nice to come along and, you know, see some of the brothers get together for Iftar and stuff. And like you said, uh, I'll meet you there. And, uh, you know, this is where it's kind of brought us to. Um so the oldest child in, in, in my family, uh, being me, and my father being the oldest from his generation, there was always that kind of sense of responsibility and that, you know, you've got to kind of lead the way. And that was no different for my dad. And obviously there was no pressure on me. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's what I got told, but it was pressure from the beginning. And um, yeah, I was an average guy at school, kind of liked a few lessons, didn't like other lessons. And always hated math so I don't know about other people but generally everyone in my kind of school weren't very good with numbers so ending up in banking was a little bit of a coincidence um, but I you know being Pakistani I often use this kind of gesture of you either need to be a good cricketer yeah or you know you, you need to be a doctor otherwise you failed as a Pakistani child and so I failed even before I even <laughs> got got to uni and um, yeah Usual, got a degree and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And somebody kind of mentioned that you're very good with relationships, management skills. And maybe, you know, at the time, a lot of these um, banks were looking for people to kind of build uh, relationships with people, especially in the community. And I started my career at HSBC. And um, I was there for a, a good, I think, maybe 12, 13 years. And with any big organization, they give you opportunities to, you know, move around after two, three years and develop and go into other departments. And so I was very lucky. I kind of covered off cash management and uh, operational roles. I did Islamic finance and I did private banking. I went out to the Middle East for a few years for the bank. And um, the, the banking world is interesting because, as you can imagine, working for a, a big corporate organization, it's all about generating revenue, bottom line, uh, all the things that I don't understand well, generally in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think in most roles now, it's fundamentally about proving that, you know, your headcount, what, what do you bring in? You know, what mm. value do you bring in? But especially in the bank, it's all about, it's all about figures and sales. And uh, I kind of became a slightly arrogant individual uh, and what was in it for me. And I would only talk to certain people if I felt that I could make money from you. And over that period, I, I, I sensed that um, it was kind of going against how I was brought up and uh, but you know I kind of ignored it because it was all about you know trying to prove to especially my my father that you know I'm worthy and that mm. if I can make as much money as I possibly can then that was the kind of definition of success at the time for me was how much you had in your bank account what car you drove the usual kind of materialistic things you think that people judge you on success and so uh, yeah I, I I wasn't a nice person and I often got told by my mother as well that sometimes when I'm walking on the streets that I'd look at people like I'm about to eat them. I don't know what that meant, but <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't somebody that you'd approach to come yeah, and say yeah, hi, yeah. that's for sure. I, so, I get sorry, sorry to cut you off, no, but I get, this, I get this feeling like in, in that environment um, and it's something that you mentioned to Hassam earlier that you, you, know, you would size people up. Yeah. I, and it, it's very much that everyone around you is striving to have the nice car wear the good watch wear the best suit and and you judge people at a very superficial right. level yeah. because as you said right the bottom line in a bank is the, the dollars yeah. right how, how much what's your uh your value is yeah. dictated by the the monetary side of things right so uh it, it only makes sense i think that if you're if you're that 
far into the deep end that you would kind of become like that well it's your environment right and mm. so if all you're ever being told is to to try and bring in as much revenue in the shortest period of time yeah then it's all about you know making sure that you're around those people that you feel are going to bring you that money and anyone else is not really you know important to you yeah so your, your priorities change based on your environment that you're around and so you know yeah you know okay, so can i ask what was your uh, your mindset so when your mum would say for example to you that you look like you're gonna eat you want to eat the people yeah. when you're walking by yeah. what how, how did you take that well i was like well mum you don't realize i'm about to make another you know 50 grand bonus out of this guy so <laughs> you know it was not the best way to see things yeah, but yeah. i didn't care it was like you know I'm, I'm bringing more money in for the bank which fundamentally means bringing more money from my, into my bank account mm. so yeah i heard it but did i really acknowledge and take it on board no far from it and then uh, what changed yeah, so look, um, I think what was the, the biggest sort of uh, introduction to the change was, um, you know, uh, we were blessed with a, with a child and born perfectly fine. And um, after a, a few months, um, for those who are old enough will remember, like the, we had these webcams that would, these big cameras that go on top of the monitor. And because we never used to have those kind of too young, yeah, too young. Too young. To of course you are, yeah, of course you are. And so uh, my father and mother were abroad, and they kind of looked at our son Rahana Bas, and they said that um, he looks a little bit floppy. And I didn't want to laugh at my dad, but I was like, Dad, come on, he's only three months. Yeah. Give him a break. He's not going to start, you know, running a hundred meters. <laughs> Doing right kickups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, he he's wiser, older, wisdom comes through, and he said, Look, just go and get it checked. And so we went to our local hospital and. They were a little bit concerned with his motor skills and they said we're gonna have to refer this um nhs as you can imagine they they were always stretched and so i kind of reached out to a professor at harley street we, we went down there and um that day was probably the the beginning of this change in my journey because he sat there and for a while he, he was just writing notes and i remember clearly because i was like can you tell me what's going on and this guy was just like literally making all these assessments and I was very impatient and then I kind of waited for him to finish and he said that um his opening line was your son is not going to live for more than two years and I was like uh what and so he then explained that if he does live any longer than two years then he's going to be living in very difficult conditions He'd probably need to have a pipe to be fed. He would be on a wheelchair, completely floppy. And his quality of life is going to be extremely challenging. And they said that um, really we recommend, imagine he's only like four months at this stage. Mm. So being told that your son, who was born perfectly fine, who is building a relationship and knows and engages with his parents and knows his surroundings, being told that he's going to live for no more than two years and and so up until that point other than your dad on on the webcam yeah, you had yeah. no inclination no inclination and wow. you know maybe the professor thought telling them straight up is better than just trying to build some kind of hope or whatever and uh i i kind of sat there frozen for a while and then literally it was like a click of a button i just thought okay my whole purpose my whole duty of life now period one thing is to just make sure that Rahana Bas, our son has the best quality of life that he can possibly have and 
subconsciously what that did is my priorities changed yeah so thinking about someone as a client trying to bring in more money focusing purely on my job um wanting to bring in a, a bigger bonus than last year that all kind of became secondary because this this new purpose in my life came and i didn't know how long this was going to go on for i didn't know where to start i didn't know how the day-to-day battle will be but knowing that this was my new kind of purpose mm. and it salim i kid you not it was literally it weren't like i walked and pondered on it and i went for you know got home and i thought about it i had another three days no at that moment it was just like just instant. a click of yeah instant mm. i was like this is my purpose and like what what was that like i mean because I, I i'm a dad as well right my, my daughter now alhamdulillah two and a half years all in good health and everything and I'm, I'm thinking when you mentioned you know your son being two, four months old i can remember my daughter at four months and and if I was to be told at that time that there was something wrong, it's it's almost unimaginable. What, like how, and, and again, more so for the mothers than, than for the fathers. Right. Like how, how did your wife, like how was that for her? Yeah, it's a good question, Salim. And I think to be honest, um, growing up being the oldest yeah. of four, um, I, I'd already had this built in me that, oh, you've got to do this for your brother. You've got to do this for your sister. You've got to do this for your parents. And so I already had some kind of, experience of my concern is not the first and fundamental point of you know yeah, uh, yeah. where i need to go to it's the concern of others so my wife uh, my, my parents my siblings it i'd already been doing that in some ways so uh of course i inside was destroyed mm. of course there was um voices inside me saying it's over like you, there's no point living there's no point having a purpose in life there's no point anything in life mm. because your your son is not going to be around in, in two years so it's a question that I, I i suppose i don't have the right there's no right or wrong of course, formula yeah. to how you deal with your adversities and death but in in mine i i'd already had a little bit of motion where i've experienced not worrying too much about me right now and focusing on others and you're if i remember correctly i remember you, you the previous interview that you had done you mentioned that even your father your your parents had lost their eldest child is that that's correct? right yeah so um again i think um, typically well in my family i was never sort of had that kind of conversation with my father where mm. he would say i'm proud of you give me a hug high five let's go and play some snooker you know whatever the yeah, yeah, fathers yeah. i never had that and so i didn't realize until later on in life to find out that they had also lost their their first child and realized why i was a spoiled brat because honestly i was born and it was like you know typically being a boy and being healthy i i, I just clicked a finger or you know i'll just wail a bit and i you know i got it it was just <laughs> and so i thought okay let's keep this going until i think i was about 20 and my dad clipped me around the air hole i think it was a bit younger than that but i don't think get away with this day and age but yeah so um yeah that he had or he had also experienced that and i thought about reaching out to my dad yeah to have that conversation to say that when that was going on how, did you know beforehand did, it happen? did you have that conversation 
No. Because I was going to say that the, yeah. the, the issue with all of this is that from, from our background, South right. Asian background, yeah. as you said, you, you don't get the pat around the shoulder from your no. dad. You don't have these like intimate conversations. Correct. Yeah. So so then uh, like what was the, uh, at the time, yeah. um, you know, you, you didn't know how long your son had left to live. Yeah. Um, as you said, your focus was the quality of life. Right. What were the kind of conversations that took place in the household? Yeah. They, you know what? It's sad to say, but there wasn't that many conversations I was so busy day to day. I mean, just to give you a cycle, our our son uh, first went back to the local hospital, and um, basically his his lung capacity to breathe was going to be his downfall. So during the day, I would see my son. His lungs were working faster than two hundred meters sprinters running at the same time just to try and breathe and they would get a sats machine in they would get oxygen cylinders in and they would calm his breathing that process of seeing him go through that three mm. four times a day was unbearable so he was in hospital he the was whole in hospital. time well to begin with and so by the time i got home i was too drained to even have conversations with people to say oh this is what's happened i mean they were all concerned and they all wanted, wanted did, did you tell did everyone know what the situation yeah, was? yeah they, they knew what the situation was but i think they were also a little bit skeptical like how do we approach us now you know mm. is he okay does he want to have that conversation of course you know my, my father and mother they they would always ask and i would say you know it's all good he, it's all good Alhamdulillah. Okay. because yeah, yeah that i think i i tried to not restrict them from having the conversation openly about it but i just didn't have the energy to yeah, always yeah. come home every day and have that conversation so we didn't really have that many conversations and it wasn't like i was going gung-ho but all i used to focus on uh, initially when he first went to hospital was to make sure because my wife was there all the time was to make sure that i was managing the consultants that my wife was okay that this the, the facilities that were needed for our son were, were were there so we didn't really have that many conversations after that he eventually came home because they said with six months to go that his best surroundings is his room well, he, he identifies life, it yeah. and you know he may go anytime and we we can provide all the service and they did we'd get nurses that come every day mm. um they were attracted to some fluorescent lights so we had all these tubes going around the room just because he was attracted to it um he loved watching uh finding nemo for for those who remember that disney well, it's not that old oh, like come on, man. You're, saying about, you're saying you're about 12 years old earlier on so <laughs> so uh, we'd you know we'd watch that all day and you know he kind of was in the house and that gave my parents a little bit more i suppose reassurance yeah of the fact that you know we can see how he is and stuff like that um but yeah we became his own nurses or doctors mm. uh until he uh one one morning we woke up and he had peacefully passed away in our bed wow yeah that's um that's a lot man yeah I, and and i i feel like uh even you mentioned you were talking about your own kind of coping or how, how you how you dealt at the time mm. i feel like one thing that i've learned at least from my own experience as well and, and seen with people around is that it, it can almost be a coping mechanism right where your right. your your focus is so specifically as you said like i'm just going to manage to consult someone and do this i'm going to do that mm. where you don't and also it's like our cultural um uh, engineering where we don't, as men, as as South Asians, as I don't want to say as Muslims, because it's not a Muslim thing, but you know, yeah. we don't delve into our emotions. We don't kind of explore that side. It's like let's just shut that out. Like you said, let's be strong for everybody else. Yeah. But I, I can only imagine that must have taken a, a ridiculous toll internally. 
um, and something that you probably didn't even process at the time. No doubt, Salim. And look, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm sitting here today and if I was to say to you that I've, you know, looked into my emotions or dealt with them, you mm. know, as much as I'd like to? No, of course not. I'm far from it. Can I ask why not? <clears throat> yeah, it's, I mean, we need another whole podcast <laughs> for that, I think, to be honest. But, you know, I think it's an ongoing process. Mm. Firstly, it's about accepting that you need uh, to maybe speak to someone or you have a channel to, to release. So uh, I'm, it's work in progress. Of course. Um, but I, I, you know, and we're going to come on to other things, but I found also other ways to try and, you know, release some, some of that. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and so then uh, chronologically, I guess, where, where did life take you from there? Yeah, so, for, you know, I, I got busy back, back with, with work and I kind of... You were of, still working the same sector? Yeah, I was still working in, in, in the bank and I kind of used work as an escape again. I don't think it was the best way to do things, mm. but I, I didn't know anything else. H had your attitude at that point then shifted? Yeah, it was shifting. I wouldn't say it shifted completely. Mm. No, it, 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 what I mean is, did you go back to that kind of cold, hard, no, calculated no, Hasnain, no, or No, no not, not as much, because I'd also kind of moved a little bit in the banking. I, w I worked in Islamic finance, and that was a slightly, I think, a little more value-based yeah. sort of environment, even though we were still working for a huge bank. But the, the, the environment that I was around uh, and the, the boss that I had was, you know, amazing. So that was, I, I, again, God makes all these moves. But I, I think the timing for that mm. was great because it allowed me to kind of reflect a little bit more upon about what I've been through and where, where I'm kind of going. Can I also ask you one question at this point? I think um, when it comes to, to death and dealing with death, like you mentioned, you know, you're, the, the people that are closest to you, your friends, family, don't always know how to react, what to say, should right. I say anything? Like yeah. even when someone passes away, I'm like, I, I want to message a guy, sure. but I know he's going to be inundated. I'm not expecting a response. But so, so I guess the question is for yourself at that time, what were you looking for from people around you? Yeah. Um, like, do you know what I mean? I know it's a yeah. tough question no, Salim, and it's different it's, for it's everyone. It's a very powerful question. And I think it's question... We, I, it, it's not really brought up that much, if mm. I be honest, but it needs to be brought up. Yeah. So the obvious thing I needed was space. I didn't want anyone to say, I'm sorry. I didn't want anyone to reach out to me and say, if you um, need anything, I'm yeah, here. I just wanted space. Yeah. But such is our culture and our community. That's the last thing that, you get. And, and to be honest, I was having this conversation with my father a few weeks ago, the first generation that came here. When something went wrong, especially when it came to death, everyone got together to support the, the funeral arrangements. And I know my father personally helped towards some people, families who didn't have enough money. For mm. So if you hadn't reached out, you were blamed that where were you? And that's fine. But I, I think as second, third generation sort of, you know, and your, your families grow uh, and we understand and, you know, especially when it comes to mental health and giving people time or whatever. What I really wanted was space, but I, it, it was the first child from the next generation. I'm the oldest. You know, my dad's the oldest. Mm. Uh, it was insane, but also very loving and caring, the amount of recipients. But I guess, like you say, um, if if there's too much space, right. then you, you, you might turn around and say, where, where the hell was everyone? A exactly. So it's a balancing act. Mm. I think what, what I learned, and just obviously this difficult pandemic that we were going through um that 
you need to give them at least a few days, if not a few weeks before you reach out to them. Mm. Because um, at first, I mean, we had so many people coming around. We had men in my house and we had the women next door. It was that that many people. We mm. could contain them in one house. And obviously, by turning up and showing representation is very important because, you know, you, you, you care. But being there from minute one isn't actually healthy. And look, uh, as a Muslim, we believe and, you know, Alhamdulillah, as time has gone on, I, I, I accept this, that I was getting told every two minutes, don't worry, you know, uh, your son, you know, on the day of judgment, he will request to come and open the doors of heaven. And you, and as much as it's true, at the time, I was like, you don't want to hear this. I just buried my son. Like, you know, yeah. give me a break. Mm. Um, so it's a balancing act, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought I'd ask the question yeah. because it, it's one of those things where you don't know. And, I, and and like you said, with the pandemic, I know so many people that have had loved ones who have been in hospital and, and even like family members to the point where I want to reach out. But I'm like, this guy's already dealing with having someone in the hospital. Yeah. They're dealing with having to support them and, their, and, and the, the, the wife, husband, kids, whatever. But then it's also like you, you want to be there for them, yeah. Um, but you don't want to overburden them. It, it's a very, as you say, it, yeah. it's a. And what I, what, what I just uh, just recently, I somebody passed away, and I just messaged the son, and I said, "Look, uh, you're in my prayers. If you need anything, I'm just a phone call away, and I'm going to reach out to you in a few weeks when you've had some time." Yeah. So it's kind of like, look, I haven't forgotten about you, and you know, I've I've kind of reached out. But, but, but you chill. you come to me yeah, yeah, when yeah. you're ready, and if you don't, it's not a problem. But I'll check in after a few weeks, mm. and that's kind of my experience. What it's taught me, because you know, if you completely forget, then they think like you know, what, where you, were you? Where were you? Thing, so yeah. it's a, it's a, you can you can never get it right. Mm. Um, but it's a, it's a really very powerful question. And so I think so I I realized I interrupted you. You were talking no, no, about kind of the the progression going back into work and the mindset. Yeah. Um. So what what basically happened from there? Yeah. So I you know I kind of joined Islamic Finance, which was being launched new at the bank. Which generally a, a big bank like HSBC, you don't get new products that come in. Mm. Uh, they can be reinvented or slightly you know kind of. Uh, improved but nothing new so um i got really busy with that and after a few years on a personal front you know um, my wife and i were thinking of maybe trying for for another child and uh, you know we were cautious naturally for for a few years and then we thought you know alhamdulillah you know we, we have faith and you know we, we believe that as long as we go with the best of intentions then you know inshallah god god will do what's best for us and um we we obviously did a lot of the tests beforehand yeah. of uh, what Rihanna Bass had gone through. And, uh, you know, we, we were we were blessed with a beautiful daughter, Nika Zara. And um, she was born perfectly fine. And we did, even after she was born, we did further tests. All the tests. To I make sure imagine, that, you yeah. know, nothing's going to come back on us. And, you know, some things you could pick up, some things, you know, with time you, you realize. And um, strange, after about three and a half months, she got this really high temperature and, we thought, you know, it's a bit of a cold, whatever, this, that, you know, usual kind of, you know, neurofen or whatever they give the kids and uh, it wouldn't go down. And we went to our <clears throat> uh, local hospital and well, I, when we were driving there, at the back of my mind, I was like, <clears throat> God, please, this, this ain't happening again. Mm. I was having you that know, conversation with conversation. Mm. We've got, I was like, you know, give me anything. But please, God, just don't test me through our door. And um, 
they were confused, baffled, like, what is this? Ended up at Great Ormond Street Hospital. But the good thing was that at the time, there, she had something called hygophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. HLH is what it's known for short. It's a very rare, very rare disease. And um, they said, but the good thing is that, you know, uh, we can we can get a, a transplant done. And, uh, you know, she should be fine. And um, they said, oh, we need to put a, a number of Hickman lines into her body. And I was like, okay, so usually you think there's just like, you know, one kind of line that goes in, like you put a drip or whatever. Like an IV thing, yeah. IV thing. But they actually installed six tubes permanently into a rib cage. And I, I, just her going through that process was like, this is just, this is just too painful. Like, I... I you know, you know, for anyone who's a parent, that mm. when you see your child go through pain, you just think, look, God, just give it to give me. Give it to me right? and, and, and let them be right. okay. Yeah, that, yeah. That's just a natural parent process. Yeah. And um, But again, it was like, she's going to have chemo and, you know, it's going to be hard at first, but we're going to get a transplant done and, you know, she, a bone marrow transplant and she, she'll be fine. And uh, again... Um, my wife stayed there f for about three and a half months and I was going every day to Great Street Hospital and I was, you know, having these conversation consultants. So even though at the time the process was different where Rahana Bas was like, he's not going to live for more than two years. Anika Zara is going to live. We just need to get the transplant. Doing that process again was weird because the outcome is going to be different, but I'm doing the same thing. And... Uh, again, uh, um, I was coming home telling my parents everything will be fine because they're going to have a transplant, whatever. And with so much chemo going on, you know, she really, <clears throat> she, her parents changed badly uh, to the extent that I got worried that, look, uh, is there too much chemo going in? And they said, no, it's fine, whatever. And then um, a few nights before she was having her, 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 her transplant, we were t advised to stay at the hospital just because um, um, anything can happen. And uh, we, we got a call, I think, uh, three o'clock in the morning to come down to ICU. And I said, what's up? They said, well, just come and we'll explain. And they said that um, she had caught an infection a few hours and the infection's not going away and we're trying to fight with it. And it seems like her body is not fighting this infection. And uh, they said that uh, we can give you a few moments, but we're going to have to switch off the oscillator. And I said, w what do you mean switch off? They said the infection has spread and she's practically uh, not going to be alive in the next few hours. And Salim, you know, I, I, I think for me, um, I went numb. Um, I kind of uh, just I think even talking about it today I feel like there's some things that are coming through that I, I you know I didn't even like reflect upon before but you know I kind of sat my wife down I gave her a glass of water and then I, I rang home and then my father came and my brother and my brother-in-law and um, Anika was way harder because I actually saw my, my, my daughter's complexion change and practically from being a kind of light brown to a pale white, literally like a ghost. And 
that was and her body weight just drop so i i could feel as she was passing away the the weight of her body like a dead body and so uh, that was way harder for me way harder for any parent to witness your your child passing away um and yeah so i i i was in the, you know in the process of preparing to bury my second child within sort of like three years well, that, that i mean what, what do you even think at a time like that like you you've been through the process <clears> once yeah and then like you said it's different the second time around so you think okay we're gonna pull through yeah but then like how uh, i you know i i i found anikazara's death way harder mm. and uh, i you know i i there were times i thought i'm just gonna i'm just gonna disappear for a while and um but i still had enough strength to know that as a father i, I need to i need to bury my daughter as a duty as a, as a muslim and uh the burying may sound surreal but the burying part was not that not as hard because I, i've already been through the process but just remembering how anika zara passed away mm. being there um was something that was going round and round in my in my mind and uh, again I, I think with rehan i embraced his his death a lot more with anika zara i i became just like this autopilot you know what, what uh, yeah I, i guess you know what happens to you as as yourself and your your wife as parents um to you know two children that have now passed away like how like i can only imagine you you're kind of like almost shells of your former selves just going through the motions of life at that point yeah for sure i thought there was nothing worth more to to kind of live for right mm. i mean I, i i've just we've just had our second child and you know you never want to go through your whole life ever thinking that you're going to be bearing a child of yours and here i am bearing my second one and i did, i i'll be honest lim i didn't know where i was going after that i had no idea what my direction my purpose you know do i do i just you know i i don't even know what to ask like yeah, it, right. it, it, it's it's that point in the in the kind of story where it's like yeah. well this is it now yeah Yeah. Um, and I I think look one thing I I have to raise here and address is that I was very very blessed to have a united loving family. And I think um you know funny enough I was just you know mentioning to her earlier on the fact that how when you have a you know don't get me wrong not every day is rosy and it's not you know happy go lucky but if you have a, a strong ties with your family members mm. you'd be surprised when you least expect them to be there for you or expect them to be for you there for you they will be that rescue savior for you i don't know if that makes sense to you but in, you, in what way yeah so uh, like how, obviously how? you you may have a if you have a brother or a sister or you know your parents mm. the least you kind of expect from that person who may be the savior for you from your family actually is the savior for you but you can only have that if your ties are healthy with them mm-hmm. so you may think <clears> that <throat> oh for example my dad didn't know how i was growing up so he won't know about this situation and you think your friend would come to the rescue to give you the solution but actually your father will be the one and 
I only realized that after burying our second child that how each person in my family, be it my father and mother had lost a child, be it that my wife had carried those two children, and I will never know that bond of, you know, giving birth to a child, be it that my brother has seen something in me that I or needs to kind of give me that guidance that all these different people in their own way, if you have that relationship, will support you. Mm. And so where I was completely lost and didn't know where I was going, subconsciously, these people were helping me. And it wasn't like I was saying, help me, please. Even though I, I did need help because we just don't do that. Mm. Um, but it, because they were around, it kind of helped me just have a little bit of hope again. Uh, and uh, I guess you know, the next question is at, at that point, when when you've been through so much tragedy and and your your life has basically fallen apart around you how how did you pick yourself back up and and put the pieces back together what works so you mentioned your family and, and that support right but i can imagine looking back you can kind of see a trajectory of of the events or the the motions or, or the things that got put into motion that kind of helped you heal and and grow from it yeah so i mean look that's a very 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 good question because um there's no kind of right or wrong way to yeah. to, to go uh, with with regards to direction but I, I i do remember this that um every single day of my life Celine, i say to myself no matter what you do regardless of the outcome it can't be as hard as bearing a child that's my benchmark so it's a very high benchmark to be fair. Right. But I do that because I'm thinking nothing else is going to affect me as like, bad like, like that. Like that. So try your best and whatever is meant to happen is meant to happen. And so in a weird kind of way, I was trying to find something that I can escape from everything. And I, you know, being Pakistani Punjabi, we never like to do things easy, right? We go and find the most difficult thing ever. Well, I'm, for those Pakistani Punjabi people out there, they'll know, right? <laughs> and I, I remember that I uh, I hated cross-country. And that's what it used to be called in our days. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what they call it now. But um, Pre-partition days, right? What's that? I said pre-partition <laughs> days in India. I know, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. And so um, I, I decided that I'm... I'm going to try and uh, just run, and I, it wouldn't be no more than 15, 20 minutes. Sorry, so 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 uh, I just want to understand that initial impetus to go out and run. What what was that trigger? What what made you think? Oh yeah, right. I I need to do something for myself. I need to do. I need to escape in my thoughts. Hmm. I need to vent it out somehow. I don't want to talk to anyone about it. I don't want to share my 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 emotions. Go and run. It sounds so stupid, right? But for me, it was my moment that I can talk to myself by doing something. I could have just sat in a park and reflected upon it, right? But I was like, no, no, go do something that's going to really push. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, I d again, I didn't know where it was going to lead to, what's going to come out of it. So the two things I did was I, I started doing the odd run. And the second thing I wanted to do was that I wanted to reach out to Great Ormond Street Hospital because I was so overwhelmed with how they looked after uh, both our children. Because even Rihanna Boss, he went there for a few days. Uh, I, I missed a bit out. He aspirated milk in his lungs and he went to ICU to Great Ormond Street Hospital and he wasn't meant to survive and he survived. So he had some 
treatment there and Anika stayed three, four months. And I was so taken back, mainly by the nurses, of how they treated children that I said, I, I, I want to do something for them. And and they were like, yeah, you know, Hasnan, thank you, you know, we'd love any support. Um, you fancy doing a marathon? And I was like, you, you got anything else? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, we have, but, you know, usually they're quite popular and it's one of those things on your bucket list and everybody wants to do it. And coincidentally enough, I'd gone for a few runs. Mm. Oh, so you, the, 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 you didn't start no, running after that? No, no, that no, was no, just, no, yeah. Okay. The running was just for me, just to, yeah, yeah. you know, talk to God or wherever it is, just away from my family, away from everyone and just have that moment. And... When I went to Graham Street Hospital and they said this, I kind of like thought, oh, all right, maybe this is the direction I need to go. And uh, I, I signed up. I signed up to do a marathon for your kids. Is it for, for the hospital? But in, yeah, in, your, for, in for, honor for of your hospital. kids. The first actually one I did, I, I did for spinal muscular dystrophy, which is the, the illness that um, my my our son had, and. Um, you know, I, I remember I, I was, I didn't know how to prepare for a marathon. You know, Asians don't generally do things properly, right? So, you know, I, I just started to kind of build some momentum. And, you know, a, a few of my family members were like, Yo, don't be stupid. What, what are you going to run 26.2 miles? You can't, you know, because, you know, generally we, we're not very good in sort of believing that we could do something, right? Yeah. So, uh, and it wasn't like they were mocking me. It was just that, you know, you're wasting your time. Um, and yeah, that's, I, I suppose, how running kind of began. And um, I, I also, I, I wanted to ask on the kind of spiritual side, like, you know, you, you mentioned the conversation you had with God at one point, mm. but where, so so after all of this, as you're start, starting to run and you said it's good, you know, a good time to clear your head, to, to converse with God, whatever, where, where was your trajectory like from there? Like, because I, I, I think... What I'm trying to understand, because look, like just to, to take a step back, I've met you after all of this has happened in your life. You do not come across as somebody, I know it sounds like a weird thing to say, but you know, you've, you've got your, your stuff together. Like, you know, you, you, you're not a mess in that sense. You're a bubbly guy. You're always laughing, always jolly, very helpful, good at your role at your previous job because you, as you said, relationship managers and, and that kind of always comes across. But... I don't think people would believe that you've kind of been through everything that you've you've just mentioned. Yeah. Um. So I'm trying to also understand, like, in terms of how you, you know, that that process of 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 rebuilding yourself almost after all of this, from a from a kind of religious spiritual perspective, where did it go from that conversation that you mentioned with God? Where did you then kind of go? Yeah. Do you honestly think I'm a bubbly guy? You haven't seen me on a football I'm, I'm pitch. Being, I'm being nice. I'm being nice for the sake of the podcast, <laughs> man. you see me on a football pitch? <laughs> but no, look, I think the first thing I realized is, uh, just to answer the second part of some of the things you mentioned, mm. is the reason I try to be upbeat, positive, you know, uh, pleasant, respectful, not why me play the violin, and rightly so, I, I could, uh, considering what I've been through, is I, I realized that... Um, this is my test. This is my journey. If I was to say to you, Salim, you know, we swap the roles and, you know, you talk to me for half an hour about your biggest challenges and your adversities, no doubt some of that would be like eye-opening for me as well. And no doubt anyone else. Everyone, every single day has a battle. 
So I, I, I make it my, my purpose in life not to throw my battles and my adversity on someone else. That's the first thing. The second thing is that your life is very short and limited. How do you want to be remembered? You may meet somebody just on a one-off occasion and never meet them again. I'm not telling them they got to ask for my autograph, but fundamentally what would be nice is that if I could be pleasant, respectful and leave just an impression that he's a fairly decent guy, he seems nice, then Alhamdulillah, I'd think that, you know what, that's good enough for me. Mm. So that's the second part. The first part is the more I started running Salim, we we obviously pray five times a day to remember God, and you know we need the prayers. God doesn't need it. You know, you know, he's like it's like it's your choice, right? Do what you want. But I think we can also uh, remember God and you know have these spiritual connections in in different ways. You know, what we say, how we speak, the words we use, the the, the mannerisms. Um, it's funny because I, I always say that my father came from a very uh, hardworking manual labor family and my mother came from a very affluent, you know, educated family. I learned the, the tough love from my father mm. and I learned the, you know, mannerisms and all, all of the other good things and important things from my mother's side. So I, I look at them too, I think, how the hell did you get married? But you know what, as a formula, that worked really well for me because I think you need a bit of both. So when it when it came to the spiritual side and connecting with God, the more I ran, the more I was talking to God. So what that allowed me was to have more opportunities to discover and what's important to me, what's important to God and how I can please God. Do I make mistakes every day? Absolutely. Am I perfect? Far from it. Do I have tough days? You name it, more than anyone. But you always have to leave the right impression. Not just in front of people, but with God as well. So, when I used to run and the harder the runs became, I would always say, God, you've given me the strength to bury my two children. Forget 26.2 miles. I'll double that and see how far you can take me. So, it was like... I, I could see myself moving on and not overcoming because that stays with you every day. Yeah. You know, I, I tell my, uh, you know, Hani uh, Fatima and Hashim Abbas, I tell them that you have a brother and sister. There's four of you. You know, they're alive. They're in our lives every single day. But you learn to move on. And it's weird because, you know, literally I had to take a step. And from a step became a jog, from a jog it became a long distance run. Yeah. But I, I metaphorically used that as, this is how I'm going to move on. You, you know, we were, we were discussing before we started recording the podcast, we we're talking about running because I've started running as well. Um, yeah, and, good. And, and <laughs> I think there's, there's this very interesting thing that when you, we, you, you said the same thing that, you know, after, for me, post five kilometers is when you get into that, um, you might call it a spiritual zone. For me, it's just autopilot. I'll be honest. Like right. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have conversations with <laughs> okay. God at that point. But it, it works for you. So, so sure. good on you. Yeah, but point. there's there's this kind of uh, very weird experience that your body goes through when you're running, especially you know distance, where you you kind of get into a new uh, headspace, something that you can't achieve. Like you said, you can sit in a park and and ponder. And I'm sure you know meditation. There are 
yoga masters out there that right. will swear by that stuff. And I'm sure you go deep end there, you can yeah, achieve that. Of course. But the, the layman version is just running. Right. Um, and, and it's got this, um, this thing to it. And like you said um, outside, you were saying that when someone else ha- is a runner or runs regularly, you don't need to explain what's exactly. so amazing about it. Right. It's, it's just yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, you know, f- for, for, for you, and I guess for people listening to this as well, I, you know, one of the things I wanted for people to be able to take away, like you said, everyone's got their own relative struggles. Um, uh, losing a child is, is, is definitely up there. Losing two children is, is pretty much at the top of the list, I would say. Um, but dealing with an overcoming, and I think that's what's, you know, like I said, everything, everything that you, you are now that I see and, and I've known for the last few years, it's, it's amazing to, to see this person because of everything that you've been through. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and, and that's why I wanted to get you on and why I wanted to have this conversation is because I feel like when people are, are experiencing tragedy, and like you mentioned with the pandemic, you know, people have lost loved ones at, at all stages of life. Um, and it's been difficult in so many different ways, but that, that process of rebuilding and, and, and growing as a person out of adversity is something that's not easy. No, Salim, it's, it's, it's not. And, you know, you've, you've, you've covered some really key points there that again, every individual is different and their experiences are different. And fundamentally, I think if I was to home into some kind of you know, it's, it's not a magic wand, but, you know, certain um, strategies that have helped me is, uh, I, I remember reading once where somebody said, too many people would love to have your bad day. So where you'll think that, you know, today has been like just a day you want to forget and ignore, you put that to somebody on the other side of the world and they'll take it every single day. Mm. So perspective. I think perspective is very important. We, we always, especially in the world we live in now with social media and, you know, kind of the, the imagery of what is happiness and what is success. These are all, all defined depending on every individual's interpretation. You know, one person's success could be, you know, just having a healthy child and a, a, a healthy marriage. Another person's success could be losing three stones, you know. And, you know, so I, I think what's important is that you have to identify that what is going to make you happy not what is going to you know give the perception that you're happy to others that's the first thing Mm. the next thing is that look um there are so many blessings in our lives every single day every single day we have so many blessings in our life but we always go the other direction but you know what if i just had that or i need a little bit more of that Mate, just focus on what you've got because honestly, there's so many people who don't even have that. So again, I, this is how, how I function. Do, do you feel like the experiences that you've had in life have given you that continual perspective? Because like you mentioned, you don't overcome uh, the, the, the death of your children. You learn to to process it. Right. But do, do you feel like it's given you that constant perspective in life? That Look, I don't know if this is going to sound crazy to people listening, but my children passing away has been in some ways and i'll come on to why blessings for me because as a muslim we believe that this life is just the first chapter the true life 
begins hereafter. Mm-hmm. So if I've got, you know, call it a golden ticket, and I've got two, Rihanna Bass and Nika Zara are my golden tickets. If And it's, again, one of the other things I was going to come to is belief. If you truly believe in your faith, then you, you have to accept that this is a two-part journey. And if the second part journey, I've got two lottery tickets waiting to grab me, who's in a better place? Yeah. But saying that can be like... So that sounds a bit... Yeah, right? I, I get Because yeah. like, you, so you're saying you've lost two children. But it's, as you said, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And that's my that's my belief. Mm. And to anyone, you know, even if you're, you don't believe in God, but if you have a belief in something to keep you going, yeah. you know, you, you want to lose weight, you've got to have a belief that you're going to do it. You want to, you know, play for, a you know... Tottenham Hotspur and be a great footballer. No one wants to play for Tottenham yeah. Hotspur. Let's <laughs> You're going to improve, let's right? Just get that clear, man. Come on. <laughs> so you know what I mean. It's a, it's a question of faith and having that desire to believe that I truly, truly believe. Because mm. if I hadn't, maybe I wouldn't be here today. And you mentioned a little bit earlier um, that you know you you've had two children since then, um, and you said that you know f- for yourself that you tell them that there's there's four. Your 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 next child, your third child. What was that like? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine, like, you know, right, going yeah. through the... From day one, because yeah. it's happened twice now at this right. point. Yeah. Like, what were you guys thinking? Yeah. And, and also, how... You mentioned you were spoiled. That's right. I'm assuming that your kids are, are <laughs> super spoiled. Well, you know what? I'm actually uh, meant to be the disciplinarian uncle in my house. Okay. Uh, for my, my sister's children. And, like, you know... Um, so, that that was interesting. Because when Hania Fatima was born... Um, the first few months I was always being a little bit cautious and yeah. I was overjoyed but I was like you know just pray don't, God don't get too excited yeah, yeah, don't get yeah, your yeah, hopes yeah. up kind of thing and yeah. you know I'd always kind of play it cool in front of everyone else but deep down I was you know I was worried and then as as time went on and she, we, we, we got some further tests done um, she's been perfectly fine Hania Fatima is now seven years old and you know she is spoiled <laughs> I won't, I won't deny it and um, not so much from me yeah. it's from uh, everyone I yeah everyone imagine, yeah. A- and um, you know uh, funny enough uh, my younger sister uh, I-, I see similar traits in, in her uh, uh, Hania with, Nid- with Nida and um, it's uh, I think Nida spoils her the, the most because I think it brings her childhood through but uh, yeah it was yeah, Salim, man. Like just talking about it even now, I'm yeah, just. Yeah, I can see you. You yeah. like light up. I, can, I just feel yeah. so like you know God has been you know again. Uh, it's perspective. I've thanked God and I try to thank God every single day that you've allowed us to still have the opportunity to have the have this this child. Mm. And you know uh, we uh, again. My wife was like, you know, maybe you know we should we should try again. And I was like. Like, listen, allow it, right? You know, we just we got one healthy child. Let's and, not push it, kind you know, of. You know, and, and yeah. it was it was it was difficult. But then by by then, you know, I, I'd kind of run a few uh, kind of marathons. I became an ambassador for Great Ormond Street Hospital, hospital for hospital for the work that I was doing there, and um, I, I was in a good place. So again, it's about belief, right? Like, just go for it. You know, I love I love Wills and um, uh, Hashim Abbas was born. Uh, Christmas Day, a few, three, four years ago now. I remember because the hospital was ent- empty. Nobody was there. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of the, obviously, 
women were holding back to celebrate Christmas and you know try and deliver the children just before just just after so yeah we had no hassle that, that those few days and funnily enough that the nurse who brought him into this world we've become very good friends with her and um oh really yeah so she's i always send her pictures of like you know your son's just turned four years old whatever. Nice, nice. so uh, from having no children to having two healthy children um again it was like there's millions of people out there who don't get the opportunity to become a parent there's many women who have so many cycles of ivf and try and spend you know hundreds of thousands of pounds to try and experience mm. being a parent and they haven't and we have we have been able to have this twice so again rather than thinking why have we lost two children i'm trying to hold on to uh, the the positive side that we have been blessed with two children that's amazing, man. And, and and you you very quickly brushed over the fact that you've run multiple marathons by nicely <laughs> nicely slid in there. But you you've done what six seven marathons uh, now. I've done I've done six, and I, I wouldn't say that I was running in those marathons to be honest. But walking, yeah, you know, crawling at sometimes. <laughs> but you know, I, I, it was uh, it became a, another part of the journey of giving back, and yeah. you know, uh, working at Great Ormond Street Hospital as a, as a, you know. Uh, as an ambassador allowed me to go around the country and I remember doing a presentation to a hundred parents who had lost children and they had just lost one child and uh, it, it, I kind of felt drawn we started doing a lot uh, this uh, charity cricket match every year in our local community just because obviously you know we love all the you know Asians love playing cricket and get some free food or whatever and I started doing a lot of this kind of charity side of work voluntarily, you know, just because it felt right. It felt good. It felt like I was giving back and also allowed me to kind of remember my children. Mm. And um, yeah, that's sort of where I kind of began doing uh, some charity I work. You're, you're great at transitions. I was going to transition <laughs> to, to like kind of complete the circle because we started by, by talking about Hasnain. How many, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Yeah, 15 years ago. To now, yeah. uh, you're kind of working in the charity sector. Um, you don't size people up anymore, <laughs> I, I would like to think. Far um, from it. But So so, so I, I guess, you know, from like a career perspective and, and your outlook in life and your priorities, because you spoke about your shifting priorities early on. Yeah. Right now, as a sort of snapshot of yourself today, yeah. um, what's what are the priorities how how do you see life and work as well yeah so uh, not many people can say they've worked in the corporate i even worked in the educational sector for a little while and now in the third sector not many people can say they've been able to transfer their skills in like you know two sectors let alone three yeah and you know i've been fortunate enough to do that um so uh, um i just want to mention that um uh, one of my cousins, Sayyidun Jafri, he was a very successful banker. We all we all happened to be in Canary Wharf at the same time. It was by default. We never kind of planned it. And there was four or five of us working for different banks. Must have been a lot of expensive lunches. Yeah, I, I generally tried to just wing it and say, I forgot my card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Just, next, next week's on me. That's right, exactly. And um, uh, he, uh, uh, at the age of 32, uh, he became a very successful uh, investment banker. And he got a, a brain tumor and he, he passed away, unfortunately. But uh, during the period when he was at Harley Street, he kind of uh, started to, uh, again, when you're close to death or thinking that, you know, my, my days are numbered, that you reflect on things that are important. And so just to, uh, again, say, because I've been through it, that's my reminder every day. We're all going to go there one day, right? So how are you going to maximize the time that you've got mm. here? And he um, was... Uh, 
working with a number of kids at this place called John Kelly Boys, which is now called Crest Academy in, 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 in Wembley. Yeah. And uh, he was working through another charity and he, he went there and he kind of realized these kids like three months before GCCs are like just, you know, kicking ball around and don't care. So through his own money, he started to just to help these kids and say, look, you know, we've got to um, make sure that you're prepared for your GCC exams because potentially leads, he called it one degree. It was a great concept because he believed a slight change of angle today brings you a better mm. tomorrow. And that's why I called it one degree. And the reason I want to share his story because he was also part of the reason why I kind of wanted to give back because he passed away and it was kind of left on my shoulders to to drive this initiative, this intervention. And I, I didn't know what to do with these kids. I was walking through the weekends to these kids. These are 50, like 14, 15 year olds. And I was like, oh, you know, I've never taught kids, but it, I was there to kind of apparently motivate them, inspire them. And all I thought was, okay, my dad, like, you know, he was raw with me. So I'm going to go raw with these kids. Like, you know, I was just, <laughs> you know, literally like, I'd probably get kicked out of academy if they told me what I was doing. But I, I went in hard and, you know, we took on 40 kids. And in the first year, I think 39 of them went from a failing grade to a passing grade and went oh. into yeah further education. It's amazing. And it, again, it was brought down to time, love, give them the belief, perception, you know, willpower, all these things that we daily should have. They suddenly had further opportunities to work and go into further, further education. One story that stood out for me, one parent said to me that, oh, Hasnan, you've, um, you've saved my child's life. And I'm like, he's only going to further education. Like, you know... I'm not sure I've saved his life, but yeah. she said he was selling guns on the streets. Guns. Guns. So you don't realize that, you know, just by giving some guidance and, and inspiration to, to these children that what they're doing on the side and how it can change their direction. Mm. So working with these kids was part of this kind of charity and giving back. And I was fortunate enough to kind of, you know, and I still keep in touch with some of those students now. They're married you know, they've got kids and they, you know, they're in a much better place. And, you know, I feel so proud to know that, you know, you made the, that choice, but I was there to kind of just, you know, direct you a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, I, I got reached out to uh, my ex-bank uh, boss in the bank. He knew somebody at um, Islamic Relief and uh, I was approached. And uh, to be honest, I had my interview and I thought I did well, but... I didn't think that I would be the strongest candidate because I didn't necessarily come from a charity background. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I got the job. And, you know, um, it's been an incredible experience for me. Um, my day-to-day -day life, you know, working uh, for, you know, the largest Muslim charity in the world is is amazing because they're all over the world taking donors to see what their, their money has done. And that, that sort of face-to-face, -face, that look when you see the impact that it's made off the work, off the work is mm. unbelievable. So uh, you you were able to, like you said, uh, you, that same role of like relationship management, which you were doing in the corporate field. Right. You've kind of been able to take that over and, and work in that space in the charity sector. Yeah, it's it's, it's RM role at, fundamentally. And it's weird because I, again, I think how, how the hell has that happened? You know, like, you know, before a guy would say, you know, a person would say to me, like, you know, how much money are you going to make me? Right. You know, mm. that's why I'm putting my money into your bank. But now these donors are like, look, you know, we, we want to feel empowered. We want to feel inspired. We want to feel that, you know, uh, I'm, I feel fulfilled with my donation. And it's, you know, it's our duty. It's our duty to be able to show that and reward that feeling for them. So uh, I've been fortunate to go to Ethiopia with some donors and just experiencing what their money has done. And getting to know them as well is, is unbelievable. Uh, it's so fulfilling for me. 
Do you feel like um, with everything that's happened and, and uh, you know, uh, having overcome all of the tra- tragedy and everything else, do you feel like you've, you've been given a second chance at life? Yeah, second or third chance, Salim, the way I, I see it, you know, for, yeah. with, with two children, because I, I could have lost myself in, in any of those two. Mm. Um, and yeah, for sure, definitely I feel I've been given this, this opportunity. And, you know, for, for those parents who, ha- who have lost children, you know, the only thing I would say is that, um, honestly, if you truly have faith and you have some form of belief that you, your kids will never be able to come back and you can never replace them. But you can remember them and embrace them. Uh, one thing, um, when uh, uh, Sayyidina Jafri passed away, uh, we did a eulogy. And I remember that we were, went to this this fancy building uh, near Westminster. And mm. we sat there and we were celebrating his life. And I was kind of scratching my head a bit because I was like, we don't do that. We don't celebrate yeah. people who passed away. Not in the Asian culture. We tend to wail and mourn and have this misery on our shoulders for the rest of our life. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. But, you know, if I would actually like to remember my kids in a good way. Mm. I remember Rihanna Bass's beautiful blue eyes. I remember Anika Zara's wonderful smile. I remember when Anika Zara would start giggling every time she saw this duck that we would squeak. I remember Rihanna Bass's eyes would lit when he watched Finding Nemo. I think that would help me personally. And I would say to those parents that, you know what, just just by remembering them in, in a positive way could maybe help you in some way. Thank you, man. I, I mean, uh, I, I genuinely appreciate, and I say this to everyone that comes on the podcast, especially when it's a personal story, but I appreciate you you opening up and sharing so much. Um, I know it's it's it can never be easy, obviously, talking about the things that you have. But the reason I, I really wanted to have this particular conversation is because I know... As I said, I know I mentioned it a few times already, but I know what you've been through, um, and 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 seeing yourself the way as you said the way you carry yourself. I'm not going to be this nice to you ever again, by the way. So so just take it in. Um, the way you carry yourself, that your demeanor with people, as I said, like you you wouldn't think for a second that you've experienced these kinds of things, and it 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 gives me and I hope others kind of hope that that tragedy does affect all of us at some point in our lives unfortunately everyone around us is going to die right. at some point uh, before or after us we don't know but we're all here for a very temporary amount of time um but that there is a, a sort of a road map back and and as i said it, it's it's not that you've just kind of um learned to to deal with the pain but i i feel like you've almost thrived and and and, and flourished um having been through these experiences. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I hope so, Salim. Um, so. But no, thank you, man. Thank you're you for coming in. No, you're very welcome. And once again, thank you for inviting me. Much appreciated. So that was my conversation with Hasnain. Um, it, to be honest, it, it like I'm, I'm recording this a few days actually after, after the, the conversation, but um, that conversation really affected me um in, in, in i would say a, a you know relatively positive way but it was it was quite a lot to think about you know how much he as an individual and his family have have been through and suffered in that way um but but hugely inspiring seeing the attitude and and the perspective and everything that it's given him um in life and so 
yeah i i, I you know i i don't know and and you know we don't often get that much feedback about podcasts but i, I would genuinely you know appreciate if people have any thoughts do get in touch do email me uh, my email address is salim at the muslim vibe.com um but yeah like i as i said i i think for me and and, and hussein's one of those guys where if you have the opportunity to meet him just go and meet him he's, he's, a, he's an incredible incredible man um someone i as i said i personally look up to and i think you know even though i knew he had been through tragedy in his life um before we sat down just sitting down and having that sort of uh one-to-one conversation you you realize you know just i, I think it gave me perspective that you don't really know and and i think he mentions it that you know everyone's individual life and struggle is different and you never know what someone else is dealing with um you know you you, you wouldn't I, you can't if you come across him in the street you wouldn't think that he's he's experienced all of this but he has and and you know i i, I would like to think and by his own admission it's you know made him a better person for it um but yeah uh i hope you enjoyed this conversation um if this is the first one you've listened to because maybe a family member sent it to you or or i don't know be sure to subscribe um we've got a whole huge backlog of conversations that are um back catalog of conversations i should say um that are really great with some fantastic guests and um we 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 do podcasts every week so do check do check us out Uh, if you enjoyed this be sure to give us a nice um five star rating on the apple podcast app or actually also leave a nice review that would be great um you can follow us on youtube and also you can support the muslim vibe the link will be in the description um and your money basically goes towards uh helping us to create more content and pay content creators um for the platform so um thank you guys for listening and we will be back next week inshallah with another great episode take care